Welcome to the Cool Stuff Ride Home Podcast. Marcus Paff alongside Reggie Rizzo. On today's episode, scientists have discovered the perfect solar system. More on what exactly that means. Plus, one of the world's preeminent sports leagues turns to airline pilots for assistance. And a story you can really sink your teeth into. We'll tell you what that means. Plus, this day in history, coming up on another edition of the Cool Stuff Ride Home Podcast. Using a pair of planet-hunting satellites, astronomers have discovered a new solar system 100 light-years away. What makes this discovery a little more unique, though, is that the six planets found, they're in harmonic rhythm. The two satellites used to discover HD 110067, yes, that is the name of the sun, were TESS, a NASA satellite, and KEOPS from the European Space Agency. According to Dr. Hugh Osborne, Kiops fellow at the University of Bern and leader of the Kiops observation program, the planets revolve around the star in a very precise waltz. For example, the first planet will make three full revolutions around the star. The second planet makes exactly two during the same time. That gives it a three to two resonance. In fact, it keeps going like this. The rotations compared to the planet next to them start at a three to two rotation, followed again by three to two, then three to two, but planets four and five have a four to three rotation and planets five and six stay in lockstep with that at a four to three rotation as well. Dr. Osborne said amongst the over 5,000 exoplanets discovered orbiting other stars than our sun, resonance are not rare, nor are systems with several planets. What is extremely rare though, is to find systems where the resonances are in such long chain of six planets, end quote. Astronomers know of 40 to 50 in-sync solar systems, but none of them have as many planets aren't in such harmony with each other. The orbits range from two days for the closest planet and 54 days for the one furthest out. That puts all the planets closer to their star than Venus is to our sun. Needless to say, they are very hot and not suitable for life, so none of the planets in that uh, sink are in the habitable zone which means it's unlikely to find life in this solar system. However, HD 110067 could still have more planets. The six found so far are about two to three times larger than Earth, so if they're smaller, they're going to be a little bit harder to find. It is thought that all solar systems started out this way, in sync like that, including our own. But it is rare for them to stay that way, one in about a hundred. A few things that can change this are meteor bombardments, giant planets pulling uh, with their massive gravity and neighboring stars that come too close causing disturbances. That's pretty wild, Reggie. I mean, I would have a hard time if you hadn't relayed all that information to me thinking that this type of situation is not extremely rare. But listening to some of the quotes that you dropped, it sounds like the the harmony isn't exactly the, the rarest of things and that all solar systems start out this way. One in 100 really isn't that that big of a ratio either. But when you first describe what's happening there, it seems like something that would be a major anomaly. The universe is a wild place, man, and never ceases to continue to amaze me. Well, if you're a sports fan, you undoubtedly know what it's like to be frustrated by officiating. No matter the sport, it's all part of the fan experience. Screaming at your TV in disbelief over a call, or no call in some instances, to the detriment of your team. In recent years, that frustration has extended to rulings that occur following a video replay. After all, it's right there in front of us. Uh, We're seeing the same things that the officials are seeing with the benefit of slow motion and multiple camera angles. And yet, even after review, 
the call is not correct, at least in our minds. Well, the Premier League, that's the highest level of English football or soccer, for those who don't follow the sport, is taking a novel approach to at least one aspect of replay. They've brought in airline pilots to help league officials better their communication and in turn arrive at the proper call in an appropriate amount of time. There are few things as frustrating, at least as a sports fan, than waiting for an extended period of time for the official to make a ruling, all the while feeling like it's an obvious call based on the video evidence in front of us. The Times of London reports British airway pilots Chris Heaven and Pete Nataraj spoke with Premier League officials, stressing the need for clarity and accuracy in communication with minimal syllables and no informal language. This comes on the heels of Liverpool's Luis Diaz having a goal wrongly disallowed for offside in a 2-1 loss to Tottenham in September. The call came after chaotic miscommunication between the video assistant referee, or VAR as they refer to them, and assistants Darren England and Dan Cook, as well as the on-field referee Simon Hooper. The audio of the incident was met with severe criticism, so of course they made that public, but met with severe criticism of, of the decision-making process and the language that was used to arrive at that decision, with the officials using colloquial phrases such as, quote, well done, boys, end quote, and, quote, cheers, mate. A full review of VAR procedures was ordered after the Diaz incident per Reuters, resulting in a 45-minute presentation from the pilots to said officials, which addressed the similarity of the roles and the importance of filtering out the white noise in order to maintain complete focus. I'm using air quotes when I say white noise. Of course, all of the stuff that's going on around these officials during a game. So... Uh, Reggie, I ask you, because the two of us both follow sports to some extent, do you like this approach of training officials using airline pilots? And is this something, you know, maybe American sports leagues might proactively consider? I don't have an issue with it, although you think air traffic controller would be much better at communication than the pilots. I mean, they're doing the dirty work there. Uh, <laughs> I, I, I do not envy an air traffic controller trying to figure out what planes are coming in and going and all that. But it's funny you said I, I was having the same conversation with my dad the other night, looking up into the sky and seeing uh, an inordinate number of planes and going, my God, the, the people that sit there and direct those things live in constant chaos and you can't have an off day. It's, it's, it's no. much like a, a surgeon where you go, oh, it doesn't matter. I don't know what happened last night or if you got enough sleep, but you better be on your game when you show up because people's lives are riding on this. You think they should know how to keep it brief and to the point as well. <laughs> they, they, you they, you they, would think, wouldn't you? Yeah. yeah. yeah <laughs> the I, runway is clear. The runway is not clear. Back off. Uh, so, Tom, how's it going today? Oh, hold on back there. <laughs> I can have a conversation with Tom going. Uh <laughs> <laughs> more so, coffee please as for the the officials here i mean does this mean if we would come to american sports that we wouldn't get any more of the false start the entire offensive line you know the officials like to make little jokes i feel like when they call the play sometimes everyone will become ed hockley and for those yeah. who follow the nfl and know who ed hockley is you know what i'm talking about yeah. if not uh, i'll just say this ed is a lawyer by trade and he's since retired but when he was in the NFL, it took, I, I mean, I think the explanations took 30 seconds because he explained them all in very crisp 
what sounded like legalese at times yeah. for football penalties. So some people didn't like it. I personally loved when Ed Hockley made a call like that. The U.S. defense industry is large, complex, and competitive. It is also lucrative for those companies able to navigate it successfully. The American Society of Military Comptrollers helps bridge the gap between the boardroom and the battlefield while supporting transformation in the defense sector. The Business of Defense podcast brings you inside the companies working to achieve this directly from the business leaders and to understand how they create value for their companies and their customers. For more information on ASMC, visit asmconline.org. Another day, another Guinness World Record accomplished. Although, like most of them, this is one I would probably pass on, Marcus. The record for the most teeth in a woman's mouth was just set by a 26-year-old Indian woman with 38 teeth in her mouth. Ouch! That's That sounds painful, Reggie. I guess you're good at chewing up your food, but other than that, I yeah, I... It's not like your mouth is getting bigger. There's just more teeth in place. I don't know. I'm, I, it's not what I want to be a part of. Yeah, that, that would not be, like you, the record that I would want to be known for. This is not it. Kopana Balin now has six more teeth than the average adult. She has four extra in the lower jaw and two extra in the upper jaw. The teeth started to come in when she was a teenager. She said she never experienced any pain, just some annoyances like, food getting trapped between, you know, extra teeth because you got more teeth for the food to get trapped in. That's a lot of floss that she probably goes <laughs> that through. That is. She did visit the dentist with plans to remove them, but the dentist suggested letting the teeth grow out more so they'd be removed easier. After they were fully grown, um, she got a little scared of the procedure and decided not to get it done and to keep her teeth instead. She may be able to extend that record as she also has two filled teeth that may be coming in as well. So even though she's already got teeth in place, two more are starting to come in now. Wow. The male record for the most teeth is Ivano Malone from Canada. He has 41 teeth. Yowza. According to Guinness, up to 3.8% of the world's population have one or more extra teeth. It's a result of a malfunction in the tooth forming process. The exact cause is actually unknown. Yeah, I guess there's really not a lot of reason to in, invest a lot of money to understanding this phenomenon. It's just <laughs> most people are going to say, remove the teeth. I don't want to deal with it. It's a nuisance. And while I know that she didn't believe it or, or experience pain with it, I, I'd have to believe a lot of people would. So yeah, her, I'd want to deal with her teeth. It wasn't, you know, normally like when teeth start growing in and there's other ones already there. Sometimes they start pushing them out of the way. Hers didn't really do that. They kind of just grew in, you know, like a second layer of shark teeth or something. Nonetheless, Reg, not something I would want to deal with. But hey, it got you in the big book, so good on her. It did get her in the big books, Marcus. In fact, after being awarded the title, she said, I am so happy to get the Guinness World Records title. It's my lifetime achievement, end quote. <laughs> well, whatever gets you there then. Yep, that's... Again, not my lifetime goal, but to each their own. Taking a look at this day in history, in 1487, the first German beer purity law, also known as Van Heitzgebot, was put into law in Munich by Albert IV, Duke of Bavaria, stating that beer should only be brewed from three ingredients, water, malt, and hops. The text doesn't mention anything about yeast as an ingredient, although yeast was at the time knowingly used in the brewing process. Reggie, uh, as, as someone of German descent myself, I have to say 
This is like the most German thing that in 1487, <laughs> the pressing matter was determining what ingredients are going into the beer. Hey, hey, what do you have in that beer there? That is not real beer. I, I can see the <laughs> arguments happening. I can see arguments like that happening now. So not much has changed. I, I wholeheartedly <laughs> agree with that. Yeah. Never mind all of those other issues we're having. The famine, forget about it. All we know is that if we are able to grow something, it needs to be malted hops. That's it. <laughs> That's right. Otherwise, the beer will not be pure. By 1516, that law was updated to set the price of beer as well. It would change depending on the time of year and type of beer, but it would also limit the profits made by innkeepers and made confiscation the penalty for making impure beer. So you make bad beer, they're going to take it from you. I don't know what they drink it or not at that point. <laughs> Nobody should have to drink this type of beer, Reggie. We're taking this away. Yeah, I'm just no to suffer. I don't know why that's so funny, but I would love that to be the penalty today. Nope, that beer, not good enough. We're taking it and ditching it. You go get yourself a pure beer. This isn't the first purity law for beer out there. There's also several that exist in Middle Ages. There's one that uh, passed in 1293 one in 1351, and there was one in 1434 that passed as well. In 1987, French brewers sued in the case of Commission v. Germany. They found that Van Heitzgebut was a protectionist and therefore violated Article 30 of the Treaty of Rome. Uh, however, the ruling only applied to imported beer, so Germany continued to apply the law for beer brewed in Germany. It's still could only contain those three ingredients. So in, in 1987, there was a dispute over a law that came into effect in 1487 oh. over the purity yeah. of beer. <laughs> yes. <laughs> yes. <laughs> the ruling still is in effect. In fact, it was after the uh, reunification in 1990. Uh, there was an East German citizen who was warned to stop selling his black beer because it contains sugar. So what they had to do is they ended up allowing him to keep selling it, but it couldn't be named beer. It was named Black Abbott. And like I said, he, he couldn't label it as beer. It had to be labeled something else. And then in 2005, they changed the law a little bit more to kind of go with what that guy experienced in 1990. It allowed the sale of beer with different ingredients as long as it's not labeled beer. So thus the law became a, a labeling standard more than anything else. There are exceptions to the rule, though. Gluten-free beer is allowed to be labeled beer, even though that's going to contain different ingredients. Safe to say none of the seltzers would make the cut under this uh, law from 1487. No, I'm pretty sure most of the beer in the American liquor departments uh, would not make the cut. <laughs> well, we'll have to confiscate it, Reggie. <laughs> Take in all the beer. <laughs> you get started. Go to your nearest convenience store and... Tell me how that goes. We're just being law-abiding citizens. Come on. <laughs> yeah. That'll do it for another edition of the Cool Stuff Ride Home podcast. As always, he's Reggie Rizzo. I'm Marcus Path. If you want to get in touch with the show, whether it be ideas, feedback, anything that you want to tell us, coolstuffcommute at gmail.com. Hit us up there again, coolstuffcommute at gmail.com. Love to hear from you. Until tomorrow, have a great rest of your day. Bye.